Hello, welcome back to Am on the Sea to Sky. Hope you're having a good May, leading ourselves into the middle of the spring season. I had a pretty good weekend myself, considering I was able to have a good hang out with a couple of friends that I haven't seen in a while, considering I was able to have a pretty low-key birthday. It was nice, got to go out, got to play some golf, got to watch some hockey, and see the fallout of the five game sevens that happened over the course of two days in the middle of it. And unfortunately, in that case, Toronto's curse remains continuous, considering that they still haven't made it past the first round of the playoffs in now 19 years and counting, and for the fifth year in a row, they have consistently gone out on a Game 7, or in this case, when it was back in the bubble, back into a Game 5, considering that the play-ins that they still had to do only went for a best of five. So in five different elimination scenarios, they have all consistently lost, and I believe that they are now 0-8 and eight in those five years for chances to close out a series and failing to do so. So so just getting those leaf jabs out of the way, and so I'm glad at least that both Edmonton and Calgary were able to make it past the first round, as Edmonton was able to go through with a 2-0 victory over LA, and Calgary was able to go through and beat Dallas in a nail-biting overtime win over mostly Jake Ettinger and Dallas, because Ettinger, 63 shots over the course of three and a half periods of hockey, four of which came down to the last minute of the game where he was completely scrambling in order to make a series of great saves while Calgary was on the power play. And this kid, he's 23 as he was going up against the veteran Jacob Markstrom in Calgary, who's 32. And I'm only hoping that this kid will have an even brighter future considering we know he's got the stuff. We know that he's conflicted. Even in the face of an elimination game where his team gets outshot more than 2-1, to one, he's still able to carry them to the best of his abilities. Unfortunately, on that day, it just wasn't enough to get Dallas into the second round. But considering that this is, I guess, technically a anime podcast, I guess we'll go forward and move that I'm having a pretty good time so far with the spring season. Uh, Diamon is still just a little average. Birdie Bullet is as crazy as ever, as it's kind of like my favorite Dark Horse series of uh, the season, considering that it's just definitely not getting through, because who the fuck wants to watch an anime about golf? But it's just... Oh, it's just too crazy to even call it anything related to the boring spectator sport that it is trying to uh, portray to a small degree of realism. But I'm really happy for it, considering that it, there's it's the only way that you can make an anime about golf watchable by making it that dynamic and that crazy to begin with. Summertime Remder has been doing very well. They've been setting up a lot of good mysteries and an endgame that's been leading through as to what exactly it's going to go. I believe it's 24, 25 episodes long. So I've got a couple of episodes in the bag, even though we know that Disney Plus still hasn't been able to go through and release it yet. But I don't know, maybe in all due time so that we don't get another Netflix jail scenario like what popped up a couple of years ago. Uh, Komi-san's been fine. Kaguya-san's been great. Um, Spy Family is a fantastic adaptation of the source material that's going through, where it's great in both its execution from the manga, as well as the story that it's been able to go through and tell in its own way. Outside of that, Owl House is still going very well. There is now, I think we've got two episodes left. I think it's going to be May 28th is going to be the final episode of the second half of the second season. I know that's kind of a lot of words to put in my mouth because it's a, sounding a lot like it, the final season of Attack on Titan. But regardless, in this case, 
I'm really curious to see when they're going to be able to unveil that final season, shortened as it may be, and hopefully they'll be able to go through and complete it on a well enough term that they are satisfied with, because so far it has been a fantastic series. And so now, another live-action show, I guess, that'll get off the chest that I was finally able to start as it was able to pop up this week was Shorzy, which is a, <laughs> which I was kind of concerned about since we do understand who Shorzy is as a, as a side character from uh, Letterkenny that's been popping up for about nine seasons or so, and he is honestly amazing in the limited time that he does come around and what Jared Kiso is able to do with it, but um, I was really concerned to see how exactly it would be able to center a whole uh, uh, miniseries around him, considering that we know he's kind of like a, gim a really good gimmick character, but seeing, like, more than three hours of content, like, centered around him, I was curious to see how they do it. And so far, in the first two episodes, they've been pulling it off uh, amazingly. It still gets me to laugh. It still gets me to just be entirely invested in the new cast that they're able to go through and bring into the chaos that surrounds Shorzy and his 0-20 and hockey team. So... They're looking to get their first win of the season come the middle of this show, but I don't know. I'm really curious to see how that's going to pop up. And then the final show that I'm going to be watching, which I believe comes out on Friday, is going to be the third season of Love, Death, and Robots, so I can't wait to see how that's going to turn out. Uh, but yeah, I guess there are going to be a couple of more things that are now been going through the news. Most of it, at least to this point, over the past two weeks, have been a lot of advertisements and release dates popping up for a couple of films that we're going to be seeing both in Japan and in North America by the end of the year. So one that I'm not necessarily too hyped to go see, which is not really much of a priority until I hear anything about it, is probably still going to go with uh, Dragon Ball Super's second film, uh, Dragon Ball Superhero. And so that's going to be slated to open in Japan in June 11th, but it's planning on getting an international release done by the end of the summer. So within the two and a half weeks after its debut in Japan, they're going to try and go for a worldwide release, including North America, Latin America, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Africa, the Middle East, and other countries outside of Japan, inside of Asia. So I really enjoyed uh, Broly, but there's just not really much for me to go through. I haven't, I've only seen a handful of episodes of Dragon Ball Super, and the majority of my experience with the show goes back to the abridged series that's been going on over the past 10 years, but um, I don't know. It'll, I would imagine people who are still a fan of the franchise are going to be interested to go through and see this, considering it's going to be revolving around the Red Ribbon Army, who was more prominent inside the original Dragon Ball series over Dragon Ball Z, but I don't know. I'm really curious to see how this is going to be turning out and what people think of it. So, much like one of the films I'm going to be talking about in the episode, one film that I'm really curious about, especially considering its entire staff that's been involved in this production, is going to be The Deer King. And so, that is going to be having some fan preview events popping up on July 13th and 14th inside of U.S. theaters, and hopefully more opportunities inside of North America will be able to go through on its release in July 15th. Because it was very much like a bubble scenario in the case that the amount of people who are invested or a part of this production that's been going through it, like on top of uh, director Masashi Ando, who did character designs for Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, and Your Name. Uh, he was an animation director for Tokyo Godfather's Pronoa Agent, and when Marnie was there, and he's going to be having his co-director standing alongside him, Masayuki Miyagi, who did Zam to Lost Memories and Fuse Memoirs of Huntress at Production IG. 
And here we've also got Taku Kishimoto, who was a script writer for Haikyuu, Erased, and the new Fruits Basket adaptation. And Harumi Pufuki, who ended up doing the Forest of Piano series, um, as Hokusai, and the Digimon Adventure Last Evolution series, who was going to be the composer for the soundtrack. So that is definitely a lot of experience uh, relating to this staff, so I'm really curious to see how this is going to turn out, because by that set alone, it will get me interested enough to kind of see what they're going to be able to do with this series, based on the novels released back in 2015. Uh, so then we're also going to be getting a double feature, I guess, that's going to be attached to Fortune Favors Lady Nikuko, considering that um, this, this short series is interesting, because... There were a handful, which in this case, um, 12, <laughs> not, so not a handful, uh, so there were 12 90-second weekly episodes that popped up, and I watched about three or four of them, but definitely decided to wait, considering that it, there's not really much to hang on to here, and so at that point in time, basically the entire thing is going to be like a 20-minute short film, so I'm really curious to see how that goes, I don't know. The five minutes that I was able to see was, you know, it was charming. I kind of liked it, but definitely something that's going through 90 seconds a week is definitely not something that you want to just complete on a weekly basis. So if it's just going to be something added on, either at the beginning or the end, uh, however they decide to match up this double feature with uh, Lady Nikoko, I'm really curious to see how the rest of it turned out, considering that it's kind of like a beach love story. And so I'm really curious how that's actually going to turn around, especially with the amount of people who are going to be going through and not only being able to see this, but Lady Nikuko as well. And I guess for me, the biggest announcement that even though I knew it was going to be coming up this year, I still didn't have like a concrete idea of whether it was going to be popping up in the summer or the fall. But now we finally got a definitive month and the debut of the first episode for Mob Psycho Season 3. And that is finally going to be able to pop through and come onto our screens in early October and will likely be streamed by the Crunchyroll Funimation combo. I'm just still really excited. It's been... A number of years since I was able to go through the second season of Mob Psycho 100, which was arguably one of the best seasons of anime in the 2010s period. Like, if I had to pick, not necessarily a series, because it's very difficult in that sense that Mob Psycho's story isn't complete, and it was still able to get uh, two series or two seasons over the course of three and a half years, but the fact that we have a manga adaptation that within the span of six years is going to get its adaptation and finish its story in full. And it has a very good possibility of becoming one of my favorites down the line if it's able to nail and stick the landing. And so I'm really hoping to see that Mob Psycho is able to do it, considering that the majority of the staff is still going to be coming back and finishing up their job on the third season. I, would, I, I don't want to say I'm hyped, but I'm just really excited to kind of see how they're going to take this story and what kind of conclusion it is going to reach. So yeah, there's just been a couple of things, you know, running through my mind in terms of like trying to figure out how to reintroduce this topic or kind of like bring it into the fold because I still have a couple of things that I do want to talk about, uh, like in terms of a couple of films that I was able to go see over the past week and a half, a couple of shows that have started to come through. I mean, I did talk about Shorzy, and then Love, Death, and Robots is going to be uh, coming uh, onto the screens, popping up on this Friday. But it's, I don't know, it's just that I really want to at least figure out some way to go through and uh, like figure out how to bring backlogs and watch lists 
into the forefront because anime is a very large medium. Like, even if it's not just itself, there's still other stories, in, like, related to the medium and adjacent to who consume, uh, much like manga, much like film, just so many other things that are attributed to this medium that still, like, keeps you going through, but there's just, there's still been, like, a handful of times, like, for me over the past couple of years that I was still concerned about to a good degree that I would at some point run out of things to watch. And even then, even if I don't, like, watch another season of anime again, it's still going to be popping up every three months. It's still going to be going through. There's still going to be movies to see in cinemas. There's still going to be live action and other animated works that I'm still going to be able to go out and experience and find out in that own way. But yeah, it's just for anime in particular, there have always been cases where I don't necessarily know how to move forward and I'm curious what I'm essentially going to watch next and try and get that out. Um, especially now that I have more time than I normally do to go through and consume a lot of works, things that have been kind of staying on my mind and things that I've been thinking about watching for years and years and years. But ever since the beginning of the quarantine, which I know we're out of now, but it was definitely quarantine back in 2020 that finally gave me the opportunity to go through and take a good deep dive at the shows that I've been holding off for years. Like giving myself excuse after excuse to just kind of like go through and not give myself enough time to actually go and enjoy it thoroughly. But ever since just the complete sweep that I was able to go through Yu Yu Hakusho, Roroni Kenshin, and Hunter x Hunter's 2011 remake, it was definitely something that was, like, it was finally something that I could get off my chest, because it's always the ones that are the largest inside of its own world. I mean, just ask One Piece fans, in the sense that it, there still is quite a bit to watch. Even though you've heard nothing but good things about them, even though you know that the time commitment is massive, and you know that this is going to be taking months, if not years, to go and complete. Because, I mean, yeah, technically, like, my buddy has been egging me to go through and finally start One Piece, and especially now that they've gotten past the 1,000 chapter mark, and that they should be more than three quarters of the way done, and I know that there are more than enough people who are either praising or whiplashing back and forth on essentially what's been going through and being shown in the most recent arc, but considering like what One Piece has been able to do, and not only through the manga itself, but through the anime-adapted ad episodes that have been popping up and have been consistently making rounds and making numbers and making highlights and just bringing everybody's attention back to what One Piece is capable of, especially on Trash Taste, especially on, you know, what Johnny and Jacob has been talking about. It's just, it is a show that I know at some point I will get into and something that I know I will enjoy, but it is still, like, that is a, that is more than a commitment, where it's like, the anime is over a thousand episodes, and now the manga is over a thousand chapters long. And so I do know that at some point, whenever I do decide to go and give One Piece a watch or a read, it's going to be a combo where I will read the manga and if there's anything that I feel that would be elevated or hyped up on a second viewing, I will go back and actually re-watch those arcs inside the anime. And I'm really curious to see how that's going to go up, but thankfully... Manga and the rest of it outside of it, I still have more than enough shows to go through, or not shows, things that I would love to see either get adapted or things that I know are 
going to be giving me a good experience or one that is purposefully just more depressing but one that I'm actually going to go through and consume it otherwise like there's still so many different ones that I'm really curious about and what kind of experience they've been able to give me due to the word of mouth and how pop not not necessarily how popular but just the universal consensus of how good these specific series are um, but I guess to start off light, um, at some point I'm gonna watch, uh, or <laughs> re watch, read Fujimoto's Fire Punch, because now that I know that Chainsaw Man is gonna be popping up in fall, and I've been <laughs> getting nothing, uh, but good vibes on, uh, Fujimoto's one-shots, especially Goodbye Airy, which is just an experience that you all need to go read, all 200 pages of it, you definitely need to go and give that a read, and that... It's a little wacky, even wackier than Chainsaw Man, but for better or worse, the message and the themes that they're trying to convey and get across definitely go through and do a good job. So I'm really curious how that's going to go. At some point, even though I've watched the anime and I had a really good time with it, and honestly, its final arc is like one of my favorite music-oriented moments inside of the medium in general, Beck, I still know, has an extended bit considering that the anime didn't even touch the majority of the stuff that was going through the series. So at some point, I'm going to have to go through that. I know that Slam Dunk, um, people have been getting hyped about that series, saying that if you liked Ippo, then you should go and give that a watch. But then I've heard the manga is just as great, especially with the conclusion that it's able to give. So that's definitely there. Um, there's not a lot on my anime backlog, but Haikyuu definitely is one of them. But I don't know if the fourth season that recently came out especially with the trials and tribulations that the production of that fourth season came through, I don't think they fully completed it, because I know that the manga is done, but I do think that whenever Haikyuu's anime goes through and the final season is aired, that's when I'm going to probably jump into that series. So it'll still give me a bit of time. Oshinoko is written by Aka, uh, the same person that's been doing the Kaguya-sama manga, and from what I've heard about it, it's also had no shortage of praise in terms of everything related to the idol and music and film and basically all these entertainment industries that always have a dark underbelly that isn't covered enough, but apparently has been like lit on fire through this story. And so at some point I really need to go through and give that a read, considering that Akka has already proven themselves more than enough savvy in uh, classic tropes, but also savvy in bringing those into the modern age and still making them interesting and still making them funny. And Johnny... Oh, Johnny. So, uh, Johnny's the guy who I brought on for the Evangelion episodes. So he got me to read the first three volumes of both 20th Century Boys and Oyasumi Punpun. And both of those were amazing in their own rights, but I was in the middle of consuming a lot of other like pieces of media through television, through anime, and, and through movies, and through the rest of it. And so I got through the three, I still haven't gone back to them. Even though I know that they're both great, and same deal, they've had their fair share of praises that have been popping up all over the place. And at some point, I will get to those. And so there's just still so much, thankfully, that is on the backlog that I still need to watch. I mean, I just finally finished the fourth season of JoJo. And so I do... It's, it's like I'm trying to figure out what I liked more. I think if we cut it into seasons, the second half of part three is still my favorite, but the entirety of JoJo's part four, Diamond is Unbreakable, is that I would say 39 is a really good episode count for JoJo's because there was so much Monster of the Week stuff happening inside of part three that stretched it all the way to 52 episodes and it really made it feel bloated, but... 
at some point, I don't know if Stone Ocean Part 6 is going to be 26 episodes, but I want to figure out, like, what would be the ideal JoJo length, whether it's 26 or 39 or something perfectly, like, in the middle of that, because honestly, that's the sweet spot, I do believe, because you have enough time to get some Monster of the Week and some wacky stories that are happening, like, uh, adjacent and next to the plot, but not long enough that it would just be a humongous, uh, like, undertaking to actually go through and consume it, because it's like, what was it, I think part one was 11 episodes, part two was 15 episodes, and then you went from 11 to 15 to 52 like, it was insane. Like, that was just way too much. Um, so, like, if we go on that point, like, now that I've gone through part four, I've now gone through 116 episodes of this series. And so, it's, yes, it is daunting, but the only way that I've been able to go through and consume JoJo's, like, at a way that doesn't leave me burnt out and wanting to watch anything else is definitely the one good thing about the part structure is that it's like, okay... Um, I went through parts one and two, took a break after 25 episodes, went through the first half of part three, took a break after 26, part two, another 24, and then part three, or sorry, part, uh, so yeah, three part two was 24, and then we finally got to part four, and yeah, that was 39 episodes, but I did find a good, like, middle ground and, like, a good pace at consuming all of that, and because it was good, like, it was almost as good as the second half of part three, it definitely got me to a point where I was really invested and I was curious to see what happened next, especially with how elusive the main antagonist of this, uh, part was. And so now that's put on the back burner, um, I think after I'm done with all of these uh, miscellaneous things that I want to go through and watch and read, I think I'll finally go through and get to Golden Wind Part 5 at some point in time. It, it, it'll go through. Because, like, on top of that, I was able to go through and watch Russian Dolls with my mom, and that was also a fantastic series. It was something that, like, like it, it's it's mostly the dialogue for me, because it was, it was really nice to see that kind of catharsis and that kind of character drama being, like, pushed through another Deathloop uh, premise. And so I was really curious to see how exactly they would have been able to do it, considering it was recommended to me, once again, by Johnny. And it, like, did a fantastic job with its two main leads. And I have not watched the second season yet, even though I know it's just recently come out, but I don't really know if it should be focused again on those main two. I just hope that, she, because apparently uh, Nadia, the main character, she has gone through, she's completed her journey, I guess. And so I believe that Natasha Leone and the rest of the crew were trying to think about that she would be present in every other season of the show, but I was kind of hoping it would be more like an anthology series to like, not necessarily do a death loop, but do something similar in that vein, kind of like a cosmic therapy session, just to like get you through whichever uh, problems you're going through, because it's like, I don't know, because uh, what was it? I think in one of her interviews, it's just kind of like, you know what, I'm broken, you're broken, the world's broken, so uh, let's just be broken together and like pick up the pieces and take things one step at a time. And it was kind of nice to go through and see, like, the back and forth and see how the characters evolved, and I really like that. So, yeah, Johnny has been pretty good on, in terms of his recommendations. I will still get to JoJo Part 5 at some point, but until then, I'm going to go through a couple of backlogs, a couple of movies, and a couple, and probably do one of the manga that he, you know, recommended to me, just so I can finally get those out of the way. Not really out of the way, but just to kind of, like, go through. It's... I like bringing, bringing back the topic full circle about backlogs and the rest of it. It's just always nice to have something on that list. It's always something that you know 
whether you're saving it for a rainy day, whether you're saving it for something that you need like a good uplifting happy story, or if you just want to get dragged through the mud and try to figure out like something else that you haven't seen before. In terms of all these lists, I, I definitely have like one of the smallest ones for sure. But the more and more I look at it, where it's like, oh, but I haven't read that comic. Oh, I haven't read that book. Oh, I haven't seen that movie. Oh, I haven't gone through and completed that series. And then on top of all of that, it's just, thankfully, this one of the only good things about this consistent churning out and pipeline of content that's been going through and either for better or worse, like dominating our views for the past uh, decade or so, now that everything has been going through inside of the streaming infrastructure... It's still a blessing and a curse. It is a double-edged sword where it's nice to always have something to watch, but the only reason why I don't feel overwhelmed and keeped up is that over these past couple of months, or I guess this year or so, I've had more time than normal to actually go through and try and consume everything on that list. And I, oh man, don't even get me started on rewatching stuff because now that I've been an anime fan for 10 years now, I would imagine there's a lot of shows that I haven't seen in like, like near that decade. Like, it's like, oh, I remember watching this a decade ago. Shit, does it hold up? I don't know. It's so, like, there's always, there's always something. For better or worse, there is always something to watch and to enjoy. And thankfully, to that point, something that you'll be able to go through and experience for the first time and something that you'll be able to go through and look from a different perspective and a different view. So, I'm kind of glad that there's always something fresh to go through and keep things interesting. But I guess I'll go through the um, uh, the actual topics in just a quick overrun. Uh, over the past week and a half, I was able to go through and see uh, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Some things I liked about it, most of it dragged on and was kind of boring. And the fact that you had to go through all of WandaVision just to figure out why Wanda was there in the first place is kind of a bit of like a barrier to entry because nobody knows why because like the way that Wanda acts in this movie is definitely something that was so out of left field that I would have expected but based on what Sam Raimi was able to do with the direction in some scenes I was really happy to see her just go ham and do what she deemed necessary regardless of the reasons like in that moment like it was it was really cool to see that kind of direction but it was just i don't know the editing editing the fights literally there was a couple of fights like going through this movie but the only good fights i think happened in like the last 20 minutes so it was kind of a lot a real big slog to get through in that first half of the movie and not really something i mean america chavez she's like, the only negative thing you can say about her is that she's not a character. It was nice that we got to see her and her moms, but she's given so little... Like, the fact that they're just throwing her, like, into it. Like, she's not even a character. She's just a plot device. She's just a MacGuffin and something that has to be fought over. Like, in, like to not even give herself her own character. It, it, which was kind of unfortunate because I would imagine... We're going to be seeing her uh, more of her at this point. Maybe she'll get her own miniseries. I don't know. But she was really not interested because the movie didn't treat her as such. Which was definitely disappointing in that regard. If Spider-Verse Part 2, well, the second Spider-Verse movie, Part 1, uh, if that came out this year, I would honestly think that Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness would be the third best multiverse movie of this year. 
and that would be arguably between Spider-Verse and Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I still need. <laughs> I want everybody to go see that. It is such a fucking good movie. Please, if it's still in theaters, go and find the opportunity to go watch that movie. Um, and yeah, there's just not... I don't know, like, five or six out of ten, like, on the Doctor Strange movie, I just, it was not the best, it was, it, it was interesting at best, and then boring at worst, and also, just, the script was a, a total mess, it's, it's just not a priority, it, like, maybe, maybe you'll need to watch it, because you need to go through and watch everything in phase four to kind of have a decent understanding of what's going on, but now that there's so much fucking... Uh, Marvel content, like, even with, God, even, even with Moon Knight, which I'm glad that I finally finished, and I actually liked the last two episodes, but oh my god, it was just, it, it was a, same deal, it was a slog to get through that first half. And then leading into Bubble, which was kind of in that relation to uh, the Deer King, in the sense that that staff uh, that was going through and leading and working on this show was crazy. And unfortunately, I'd have to say that Bubble was one of the most whelming movies I've seen in the past year or so, where it's it wasn't bad, and Studio Wit is just kind of like so on the ball regardless in almost every single production they've done, even since Attack on Titan. Even beside the Attack on Titan third season, they basically did... Vinland Saga, they went to Great Pretender, they went to Vivi, Fluoride Eye Song, they did Ranking of Kings, they're currently in the middle of doing like ar like arguably one of the best shows of this season, Spy Family, they're doing animated adaptations of both Pokemon films and Pokemon video games and OVAs, especially with the one that they're going to release later this year, Yusui San Snow, which is related to the Pokemon Legends Arceus video game, and then now they've got Bubble. And like I said, Everything around it, the water, the bubbles, reflection and the environments and how they're able to maneuver this 3D camera inside of all of the obstacles and the tracks that they're able to go through and all the characters race through, it was like, it, it was still like a feast for the eyes. Like that's, if there's anything consistent about Studio Wit is that they're very much like Ufotable, that they will amaze you with at least some straight up visual eye candy by the end of this whatever for whatever you decide to watch under their umbrella but it was just kind of the same deal like it was just an original it was an original work done by Tetsuo Araki who was also where Genarobuchi was a part of the writing team and they did like music by Hiroyuki Sawano and you could definitely like hear those horns especially whenever they go through and uh, it, it was like it was fine like it was a fine movie um, a little bit of the classic Little Mermaid, like not the Disney, but like the more <laughs> original storybook fantastical story. You have so many characters like outside of this main duo and none of them are really given enough time to make you care about any of them. It's just that you only care about them because they are adjacent to the two main characters. I mean, I kind of like the woman who's acting as a scientist who wants to stay inside of this bubble-filled area, like around Tokyo Tower, inside of Japan, inside of Japan, like, yeah, of course, no shit, Sherlock, but, um, like, inside and around Tokyo Tower, and she doesn't, like, everything that revolved around the event that made the bubbles exist in the first place was just kind of like, yeah, no, it was just window dressing, like, you didn't necessarily need to go through that much, but... I don't know, the development of the relationship between the characters wasn't necessarily the best thing to write home about. 
I do like the trope of the old veteran going back in to help one last time, which was kind of cool, like based on how we were able to go see and one of the mentors that essentially helps them, you know, with both their home and manning the ship and organizing the events. And it, it like it was cool to kind of go in and see him get his uh, due, uh, due moment. But yeah, it, it was a fine same deal, like five, six out of ten. Like it, it was like if I had to, if you forced me to decide to watch either uh, this or Doctor Strange again, that's a good question. I mean, at least with Bubble, I would be able to like dial up the playback speed so I could get through all the monotonous like in between stuff quicker. But I don't know. Like they were both like even. It, it like it was a very whelming week for uh, watching films. Although I did go back considering that I still had not watched it, even though I had completed its series several years before, which was um, The Adolescence of Utna. And this was a separate film released two years after the adaptation of the original Revolutionary Girl Utna series, uh, you know, animated by J.C. Staff and directed by Iko, uh, Kunihiko Ikuhara, which was back in 97 and, like, one of the, like, biggest... Uh, like queer representations in anime like inside of that 90s era and I remember it very fondly like it did a very good job the middle portion where they were basically doing nearly the same repetitive thing but with a darker twist to it and a different um, organization was a little bit of a shit uh, like a, <laughs> not a shit like a little bit of a shifty uh, change to how exactly the movie was able to go through and move forward but what I was able to go through and watch and what I was able to at least learn and appreciate from that series is what uh, Ikuhara is able to do with the majority of the projects that he's a part of, especially when it comes to queer representation. Because, I mean, besides that, he was the director for Mawaru Penguin Drum. He recently did uh, Sarazanmai. He's going to be doing a rebuild of Penguin Drum, basically, or in this case, the recycle of Penguin Drum coming out later this year. Uh, what else did he do? Oh, yeah, he did uh, Yuri Kumarashi, which I think was just literally lesbian bear storm. So he's got a lot uh, settled up in between uh, the majority of the works. And considering that, I mean, he was the director of Utna as well as this film. He ended up taking a 10-year hiatus in terms of directing stuff. But even before then, he had a huge influence on not only on his directing spots, but everything related to it as he had his most famous work done with the TV adaptation of Sailor Moon. And so he also did Sailor Moon R along with its film. And so he, as a director, he's kind of like very Akiyuki Shimbo-esque, but he just does a really good job at like taking the mundane and what people believe as kind of foreign and fantastical and weird, but making it even weirder, <laughs> but making the situations around it weirder by comparison, just to, like, make everything normal inside of its same vein, like, as they are adjacent. But, um, no, I do appreciate what Ikuhara has done with his work, but honestly, I still need to go through and give, because I do remember, like, watching the first two episodes of Lesbian Bearstorm when it came out back in uh, 2015, um, and then I heard good things about Saurus on my as well, so at some point I'm going to have to go through and give those a watch. And still, the classics, there are a lot of classics that are technically still not on my backlog, but still, like, don't... They, they, they kind of feel like they're mandatory viewing, just to kind of get a feel for what the industry was back in the 80s and 90s. So, like, the original Dragon Ball, the original Sailor Moon, the original Hunter x Hunter, the original Mobile Suit Gundam, the original Macross, like, all of these 
huge. If there was any like major piece to add onto that list, it would just it would definitely be the late seventies going into the eighties of the anime industry. Because I'm really curious to see like what those are able to do. I would I would need another like year minimum to be like oh well. Digibro, like, watched nearly every movie and OVA that came out within those 15 years, and it's like, holy shit, there is no way anybody has that much time unless, like him, you were getting paid for it. Kind of, sort of, but not really. But yeah, no, I mean, the Utna film definitely did a, like, if there was one major thing that they wanted to get off the bat, considering that this is just over an hour and a half long, it's like, no, between uh, Anthe and Utna, it is right off the bat they are into each other. Like, this is very much their romance, their setup, and their story. And there's not going to be... And there were, like, bits and pieces of Utna's past, as well as the relationships that she makes with not only the student council, but those who survived around her and those who unfortunately had to go and not be a part of her life anymore. But yes, this is very much the major relationship between Utna and Anthe, because they are overtly romantic and interested like right off the bat between this and it is a very heightened thematic element that definitely got explored and it was the conclusion that Anthony and Utna were the two that were meant to be together at the end of the um, Utna story but this movie wastes no time in being okay guess what we're a half hour in and you two are already going to be the Rosebride and the knights who go through and duel for her affection. And it definitely focuses on those two in particular. Toga and the rest of the student council don't really get to go through and have uh, their chance to duel with her. Because we don't really get so much between Nanami. Like, we get a little bit of Nanami, we get a little bit of Yuri. Uh, Toga is one of the major connections that she has, and one of the only ones that she goes towards through the, with the council inside of the rest of it, and you get flashes of everybody, like Miki and uh, the rest. But the prince, the setup between Anfi and her brother is similar, but her brother is not the major antagonistic force behind this movie. It's mostly the world <laughs> and society. Um, that definitely seem to be the ones that are trying to stop... Anthe and Utna from going about and living a different life outside of the world that they had once thought. And that that specific message in particular where there are no roads and nobody's paved this path for us, not many people have walked it before, but at the end of the day, because we have each other, everything is going to be all right. And I really enjoyed that message through the rest of it. Past, past the uh, car transformation scene, like, you need to see that for yourself, honestly. Just... Because, yeah, it was definitely weird because I was satisfied with the ending of the original Utna series, and I just, uh, like, quickly screened through what the movie was, and it was like, oh, she's fighting Yuri, and it's like, oh, okay, no, that's fine, that's fine. Uh, like, okay, so it's basically a retelling, but uh, it's a movie, I don't need to see this. But it was just like, yeah, it is the lesbian powerhouse movie of the 90s that essentially, like, takes its own title and runs with it. It... Honestly, for that bit, even though it had been uh, a number of years since I'd rewatched, or not even rewatched, basically just gone through and revisited the series, I still believe that uh, the original Utna series is fantastic and something that is deserving of a watch, but then also having this extra perspective 
after its conclusion, after a couple of years of its uh, molding and sitting inside of the uh, melting pot of Ikahara's flamboyant brain, I'll definitely like give both it and the regular Udna like a really good recommendation to go through there. I definitely like enjoyed this set of the movie, especially with its 90s aesthetic. It is very gorgeous to look at. Everything is hyper-stylized. Everything has the opportunity to go through and wow you in every new frame. And it's, I don't know, Ikahara is definitely somebody where the only reason like I'm kind of staggered with him is that I didn't like uh, Mawaru Penguin Drum that much. It was, I mean... When did I watch it? I believe I watched it, like, back in 2014, and I don't think... Oh, it, it, everything flew over my head. Like, there, there was no... There's no, like, ah, well, bits and pieces of it, kind of like here, there, some here, some there. And it's like, no, I did not uh, get any of what it was trying to say, and that is definitely on my bad. But, um, I don't know. It, like, considering the shortness of the majority of the projects that he has been able to go through and work on over the past decade or so, I definitely feel like I'm going to have to revisit him. But yeah, only time will tell. And like, this is basically the gist of it where, yeah, at some point I can just go through and like, I don't think there is ever going to be another time, fingers crossed, knock on wood, that I'm ever going to have to worry about not being fulfilled or not being like fearful of not being able to watch anything because there's always something new around the corner. There's always either a new director or a new studio that you hadn't heard of, like something that can be the genesis of a topic that you want to cover and nobody else has been giving you the perspective of, but at least with that, with that kind of drive, and if you find that unique set and having the right circumstances to find the right amount of time, it's definitely something nice to come back to and at least put your yourself on a journey that you don't know where the end of it is, but just like this podcast, it's kind of been a bit of a rambling bit and I have no idea. I'm hoping I'm going to be able to get the Flash episode out with Johnny out in two weeks from now, but I don't know, only time will tell. All right, cheers, thanks. Thanks.